We have a signal now for when I'm needed. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning to them. Fear is a tool. They think I'm hiding in the shadows. Coming to you live from the underground airwaves of Gotham Radio, it's the inaugural episode of the Batshit Podcast, your one-stop audio show for all things related to the Dark Knight. I am your host, Raina Cervantes, and joining me is our wonderful second host, Madison Fairchild. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Thank you for uh, doing this this new pod with me. <laughs> I am so, you don't understand how ready I am. <laughs> yeah, well, we had been talking about this for a while, no? Yeah. And anything I can do to show my deep, deep, deep love for Batman, I'm I'm ready to do it. I'm so excited. I think I think it just made sense at the end of the day, because for those of you that don't know, we we were on another podcast called Windsor Film Club, which was a horror movie and cult movie podcast. And kind of just every episode ended up leading back to Batman somehow. We always talked about Batman. (laughs) Like. Uh, what what episode was it was it our episode with lucy james where it just like she she came <laughs> on to talk, one, right? yeah she came on to talk about watchmen and it just like devolved into talking about like batman and comic books and how yeah. weird they are like it got so derailed it really did and it's it's funny this feels so full circle because when reina and i first became friends a lot of what we talked about was our large extensive harley quinn collection <laughs> We both collect like Harley Quinn items. And I feel like that's one of the first things we really shared and talked about. So I absolutely love that we're we're going on this little Batman adventure together. I think it's so perfect. Well, I figured it was like time because I have like an entire bookshelf dedicated to just <laughs> Batman books. Oh, it definitely was time. Yeah. So <laughs> how did we come up with this name? Like the like 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 let's give the audience like an origin story. Yeah. Oh, my God. So you came to me with the podcast and an idea for the name, which was Batshit Crazy Podcast. I liked it. I did really like it. Um, However, a lot of people decided to name their podcasts Batshit Crazy. And and have it not even be Batman related. Not Batman related at all. It's so crazy. And I I came to Raina and I was like, why don't we drop the thought <laughs> why don't we drop the crazy bat shit podcast and we were just like that's it we got it and we saved the ads that night and here we are so you had the initial name and i just cut it down a little bit <laughs> i think i think our like goal with this podcast is to just not only are we going to be covering movies but we're also be covering like tv shows comics video games like mm-hmm. If someone has an interesting take about the Batman mythos or like anything even remotely Batman related, like like we could even cover like Looney Tunes back in action because it has a Batman cameo. (laughs) No, isn't there like a Scooby-Doo Batman collab? Didn't that happen? Yeah, there's an animated movie, I believe. And then there was like the 60s cartoons. And the way that I'm going to force us to do the Archie, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy collab too i'm sorry we have to cover it. the, the <laughs> so way ready. the way you say force as if i don't already own a physical copy of that book amazing amazing <laughs> i'm so excited both of us yeah i feel like we just talk about this so much and it's so funny back in the day on twitter back when i had a fan account i um 
my name was literally DC Shill. Like I just love DC and I was getting bullied for it by another comic brands fans. And um, I'm so ready to just share that love with everybody. <laughs> we'll also be bringing guests on to this particular podcast now. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, we won't say who yet, but we have we have a couple guests lined up already that uh, already so that, exciting that we think could uh, provide a new like either inside look or unique perspective on Batman and everything related to him. Mm -hmm. um, but for our listeners that don't know you, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and how you kind of got into the Dark Knight? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Madison Fairchild, as we said before. Um, and I have been a Batman fan for as long as I can remember, honestly. I, my big brother is super into comics and is 14 years older than me. And he kind of raised me to be his mini me. Uh, if you've listened to me talk about horror movies on other podcasts or Star Wars on other podcasts, then you've probably heard this spiel because everything I like, I like because of him. Um, and I just fell in love with Batman movies at a really young age. And then I super fell in love with the animated series as a kid. My mom used to call me Harley when I was little. I told her when I was like eight years old that I want to name my baby Harley one day. Like she put me in gymnastics because I wanted to be like Harley Quinn. So Batman has just always been there. I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy came out when I was still pretty young, which I feel like is the perfect intro. Um, and it never went away. I just I love DC. I love Batman. And these were the first comics I ever read. The first comic book I ever bought, like for myself when I was a kid was a Batman comic. Um, it's very, very deep rooted in my life and something that I'm super passionate about. What about you? I don't even know how to follow that up. Uh, <laughs> For those of you that don't know me, my name is Raina Cervantes and I am a contributor over at Bloody Disgusting and Fangoria. I'm mostly known for my horror writing, but um, I share a deep love for, for Batman and all things Dark Knight. Um, my introduction to the series was actually probably uh, the first two movies, Batman 89 and Batman Returns. And uh, my parents had them on VHS as a kid. And they scared the living hell out of me. Like I was terrified of them. But I think it was kind of like rooted in like my weird, like the same reason I love horror. It's like I'm so scared of it that eventually like I'm just enamored and like almost obsessed with it. Um, and it just grew into like this like blossoming love. And then I was in high school at the time that the Dark Knight movies were coming out. And so I have very vivid memories of like going to midnight showings for those movies with all my friends and being very excited. I annoyed one of my girlfriends at the time because of how much I was like hyped for the Dark Knight. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's kind of where my love stem, stems from. I love that so much. Wait, yeah. What years were you in high school? I'm so sorry to ask. Oh, I was in high school from 2007 to 2011. Oh, my God. Yeah, actually, Dark Knight Rises came out one year after I graduated. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I'm old. Thank you for letting our no, listeners no, know. No, no, <laughs> Not in a bad way. I started high school fall 2011. Oh, yeah. You were a freshman coming in when I was like leaving. That's <laughs> or so funny. had already left. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
Okay, sorry. I don't derailed us a little bit, but I love that. I love that intro so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we just kind of hope to just kind of spread our love for this franchise, kind of bring in new inside looks and unique perspectives, because this is like, man, the world of Batman and everything Batman related is so goddamn expansive. (laughs) It's never ending. We will never run out of content. And I think that's kind of what what led me to go like, oh, should do a Batman podcast because it's like (laughs) we'll we'll never run out of topics. (laughs) Exactly. And we're doing everything Batman adjacent. So we're going to delve into certain villains arcs and all of that. Like you said, books, video games, comics, everything. There is nothing that we will not try to touch for Batman. We love it all. Mm -hmm. And today we're actually taking a journey into the funky art deco nightmare. That is Batman 89 directed by Tim Burton, written by Sam Hamm and Warren Scarin starring Jack Nicholson as the Joker Michael Keenan as Batman and Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale. The film follows the dark night of Gotham city as he begins his war on crime with his first major enemy being Jack Napier a criminal who becomes the clownishly homicidal Joker. So before we start like really diving into this movie, (laughs) this is like probably one of the greatest like jumping on points for like any new Batman fan. Oh, no. Oh, 100%. I mean, I guess that's a little biased because that's like my first introduction, but Mm -hmm. it really like it really is like probably one of the best like depictions of the comic books, I think. No, it really is. And I feel like so many people, this was their first Batman movie. I mean, I this was the older Batman movies I saw before I saw The Dark Knight, but I was only like eight when The Dark Knight came out. But this was like one of my first comic book movies I ever saw. And I think it's just it's such a good introduction to all the characters. Um, Joker, Harvey Dent, um, Batman, I feel like it's a really good origin story. And um, no, I think it's like the perfect place to start, especially because it reaches those audiences that are like maybe not comic book movie fans, but they are Tim Burton fans or they just really love Michael Keaton or they're huge fans of Jack Nicholson. And I feel like all of the creators in this film have such a broad audience that is not the typical comic book movie fan. And I think that makes it a really, really good jumping off point for people. So speaking of origin stories, let's dive right into the first scene that we open up on this like beautiful Art Deco, like Gotham City, which is like almost ripped straight from the comics, but like through the lens of Tim Burton. Um, We open up on this family as they're leaving the theater. The dad's like looking at a map of Gotham. They're kind of getting lost. They're very obviously tourists like and the way that the scene plays out. It implies that it's actually the Waynes mm-hmm. because it never says what time period that the scene is in. And it can be anywhere in time. Like it feels like somebody hit the pause button on Gotham and it just like stopped evolving. So we see them and we head down an alley and lo and behold, there's a mugger. So you're thinking in your head, oh, this is mm-hmm. the Waynes. This is Batman's origin and whatnot. Like he's going to kill his parents and the kid's going to be there all sad. And then it inverses it and flips it on his head. And actually reveals that it's not that it's like taking place in the present and Batman shows up and stops the mugger from killing the family. Yeah, I obviously had forgotten this film a little bit. 100% thought that was baby Bruce Wayne, like 100%. (laughs) Yeah, no, you don't see the Waynes die in this movie at all. Yeah, which I love. It's it's rare. (laughs) 
thank you to this and the Batman. Um, he like even doesn't even like stop the crime. Like he does like he does like rob them. And then like the mugger goes up and like starts counting the money. And then mm-hmm. you really start to click together. Oh, this 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 isn't Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I think it's a really good bait and switch. I kind of love that. That's how the movie starts. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And so lo and behold, Batman shows up and has like one of the most like like bombastic entrances ever and like terrifies <laughs> the hell out of these criminals. And uh, he grabs the criminal and the criminal lets out. He's like, who the hell are you? And then Michael <laughs> Keaton drops the iconic line. I'm Batman. And let me tell you, like this opening is just it's just right to the point. It's just mm-hmm. like he's already established in Gotham. Like we don't even know how long he's actually been like like acting as Batman throughout this movie. Yeah, it seems like he's it's not his super, super start like Batman begins, but it's also not established enough to where he's really working with the police like the Batman. So it's a really weird middle ground that I feel like doesn't get covered in new Batman stories a lot. So I really like that. Mm -hmm. So then we go to the mayor of Gotham City and he's talking with Harvey Dent and Commissioner Gordon, and he's talking about how the city's, uh, what what is it, the city's bicentennial coming up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Gotham City turning 200 years old, and they're going to throw a big celebration, but but the local mob boss is, like, throwing a wrench in plans, and uh, that and that Commissioner Gordon and Harvey Dent need to get a grip on that. Top that with the, with the sightings of, like, the masked vigilante Batman, and it kind of sounds like that Gotham is going to hell. Like yeah. at, w- when we jump in, seriously, <laughs> like y- you hear about like how bad Gotham is and other media. But this movie really like drives the idea home of like, well, not only are there monsters running around causing chaos, there's a dude dressed as a flying rodent, like <laughs> beating the hell out of criminals. Oh, I, I don't love know. it. Yeah. I, how, how do you like like the opening in the world like it establishes because it doesn't waste any time like establishing this world? No, I love it because it feels a lot more realistic that people are this put off by the vigilante being there. Um, mm. And I feel like other superhero movies like they try to touch on it. But this one does such a good job at like it's not just the police that are put off, which obviously like he works with the police in mm. every iteration. but. You know what I mean? Like everyone mm-hmm. is like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, why mm-hmm. is this dude? He's scary. And the fact that he's viewed not as like a man in a suit, but like criminals are talking about it like he's a creature, like he is a monster. I don't know. I, I feel like it's a lot more realistic. Like if Batman was real and people hadn't seen his face or really seen him at all, that's just like in the shadows. I feel like he'd be treated a lot more like um, like a Sasquatch or Slenderman, then he mm-hmm. would be like some dude mm-hmm. from the military supply store. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, which is kind of interesting because that leads me to my next point that a good chunk of this movie is told from uh, two journalists, um, mm-hmm. Alexander Knox and Vicki Vale, and they work for the Gotham Gazette. And you even see like in their offices when they're introduced, like, oh, Batman suspect. And it's like a bat and it's like a literal Batman. And like, in- <laughs> in like office clothes yeah like they think this man is a monster i love it and it just it's so perfect for how quickly people like jump to conspiracy theories i feel like 
it is so realistic for how people would react. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of new Batman media doesn't lean into that like conspiracy aspect enough. No, no, it doesn't. And I mean, nowadays it's like, oh, yeah, you'd pull out your cell phone and like post a video of the Batman on Twitter. So like people would see it's a guy. But in the 80s, like when there isn't you're learning so much of your information from the news. If the reporters are spinning it in a certain way, that is what the general public believes. So I feel like the conspiracy theories would be way easier to fall into in 89 than they would be in 2022. You know what I mean? Like, I love Mm -hmm. it. I love that direction. Well, and I think part of the issue is, is that, like you said, the like use of cell phones today in modern media, and then also the way the costume looks in this movie. We haven't even really touched upon that is that the costume is pitch black aside from the Batman shield, like on his chest. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. he looks like he looks like a monster, like hiding in the shadows. Yeah, it really is different from like how I don't want to say military, but like modern Batman. It's an over reliance on gadgets. Exactly, exactly. And I think the the cut, like glossy pitch black that Batman used to be versus now is so much scarier. Like <laughs> it looks like a villain. He looks <laughs> like a villain straight up. So, yeah, I love that. So then we're introduced to like Bruce Wayne, the other side of Batman, the other side of the coin. And as he hosts like a, a fundraiser and he's just casually strolling around the party. This is where you really get like sort of your first taste of Michael Keaton outside the suit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to know your thoughts on Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. I think he's a fantastic Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. I think he's such a good Bruce. I love that scene. I'm sorry. I know we'll get to it. So I don't want to like talk about it too much. That scene where they're looking at the art and he's pretending he is not Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, it's from Japan. How do you know? I bought it in Japan. And like they realize he's Bruce. That's so in character. No, I don't yeah. know. We could, so talk, we, we could talk <laughs> about that scene now. Um, This is the scene also where like Vicky Vale and Alexander Knox meet Bruce Wayne and yeah. Vicky like kind of becomes enamored with Bruce Wayne and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of see like that, that like romance, like starting to build up throughout this, throughout this movie start here. Exactly. And I'll be honest, like I truly do love and I know people are going to hate me for this I love every version of Batman I love them all and in my eyes like growing up Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne was the Bruce Wayne for me I think he was fantastic as well like the perfect like level of cocky and all that but I think that Michael Keaton is just such a convincing Bruce Wayne I think he is fantastic and I would want to be his friend you know what I mean like he is that perfect amount of charisma But what I like about the new Batman is that he has the perfect amount of depression to where being the Batman makes sense. I feel like for Michael Keaton's Batman, it's like he's such a cool guy. Like he should just be a businessman. Like don't put your life at risk. Well, I I feel like the, the important distinction between the Batman and this Batman is that in the Batman, you have Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne, who hasn't been Batman all that long. So he doesn't know that like balance between Bruce Wayne That's and so Batman. True. Whereas yeah. the, this one, it's like, it's established. Bruce Wayne has been Batman for a long while now, probably. And he's learned to balance those two lives that he he is able to give off that aura of like warmth and charisma, like want you to be his friend. Like you would not suspect that this man 
dons like a monster suit at night and beats the hell out of people. No, you're so right. And I was reading this earlier. I couldn't find it again when I was like looking at our show notes, but like Michael Keaton really wanted this to be believable. He really, mm-hmm. it bothered him when he first read through the script, like people would know if his identity wouldn't be a real secret. And I feel like he took that to heart and the Batman he plays in the film, like you would never suspect that that man is staying out every night and beating the shit out of people. You just wouldn't suspect it. He loves art. He loves Alfred. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think it's perfect. I think he's so good. Yeah. To the point that he's like, uh, like Mr. Wayne, we need more champagne. He's like, how many more? Like 30, 30 is good, right? (laughs) Yes. Such a good scene. People actually at the time of this movie, um, it it was like widely reported that like people hated the idea of Michael Keaton as Batman yeah. slash Bruce Wayne in this movie because at the time Michael Keaton had been known for comedies like Mr. Mom and mm. Night Shift. He hadn't really been known for serious roles. And this was like an era where they were trying to bring back Batman and bring him back to his darker roots. Yeah. People thought that with the casting of Michael Keaton, they were just going to turn it into another joke. Which is so funny because... Yeah, like you said, they were writing fan mail begging for them not to cast him. Like it was, it was. Oh, that sounds familiar. Huh? Yeah, right. I was just about to say it's how people are now. Like they were the same back then. And obviously, I feel like it's so obvious that Tim Burton was going to make a darker Batman. Like they should just trust the process. But also, I think it's funny because, like, as someone who grew up post this Batman, Michael Keaton always kind of scared me when I was a kid, like in a good way. But Mm -hmm. he seemed like a very serious guy. And so it's funny reading about like people saying they could never see him as a serious actor because he was funny because I don't have that perspective because it's a different time now. And I just think that's so odd to hear that. You don't have that perspective anymore because of this movie. No, that's what I'm saying. Like it really did. Like it's such a surprise reading about that because of this and because Mm -hmm. like after this, I feel like he was able to take on more serious roles. And it's so mm-hmm. funny how that like generational change is there because of this movie. It's awesome. Definitely. Definitely. I think it was also the element of like Tim Burton's like first two movies were Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. Like no, nobody expected these two to like adapt to Batman and bring it, bring it back home. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then we really meet the mob boss. That's like terrorizing Gotham City. We got Carl Grissom and his second in command, Jack Napier, (laughs) played by none other than Jack Nicholson. Now, Jack Napier is supposed to be just an absolute bastard of a villain, just like an absolute like psychopath. Grissom knows that Harvey Dent and uh, the police are on to him. So he orders Napier to go raid Axis Chemicals and go retrieve incriminating evidence little known to Napier that it's actually <laughs> that it's actually a setup to get him killed. So Bruce Wayne is basically called into action as Batman and comes into contact with everybody at Axis Chemicals. So we jump to Axis Chemicals and it like turns into just an absolute shootout like chaos. <laughs> like he runs he runs into all of them and the police show up. And this is where you get your first taste of like you see at the same time of how criminals and police react to Batman. Um, What did you think of this scene? So from like the jump, I, I like the setup a lot. I really love when a Joker like 
is evil before the bad thing happens to him that makes him the Joker. I think it's a lot more plausible for like going from violent and mean and awful to a violent, awful psychopath when something bad happens to you is just a really like plausible jump to me. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. I love that Jack Nicholson has two crazy characters that are evil killers named Jack two when he's mm. named jack i think that's hilarious so I, I just i love that but i think that scene is really good i think it's a very good version of the joker and i think it, it like batman movies and stuff are so fun because especially with the joker like we never really know his real name and his origin changes a lot based on what you're reading what you're watching what you're playing i just think that this is a really solid and feasible origin i mean it's insane right he falls into a vat of chemicals it's crazy i like the scene because batman's like kind of more violent than usual if that makes sense like that's an, that's an interesting point that you bring up because yeah, yeah you really do see like the brutality of batman um yeah he like is kind he, of a killer <laughs> as he like kind of like fights all these mobsters and like yeah. just kind of like beats the shit out of them and I do like how you do see Jack Napier as like the typical like 19 like 30s. Let me mm -hmm. get this like Tommy gun and shoot you type mobster. Mm -hmm. I also like you asked the cops. I think it's kind of funny. I'm I'm sorry. I keep referencing the Batman. It's just our most recent Batman. So like I'm I'm finding a lot of like little similarities. But like I feel like the cops hate him on the same level as the cops in the Batman before Batman starts helping them with the Riddler, like they really fucking hate this guy. They're like, why is he here? Mm -hmm. We don't want him here. And the cops in this one are very similar and they just like don't trust him at all, which is funny. And I have another point. I'm going to wait until we start talking about when he's the Joker, but it's about Bioshock. Don't let me forget. <laughs> okay. So eventually Napier and Batman like come to blows, like on this catwalk above this vat of chemicals. And they're just like, trading blows one after another and and Napier falls over and is like hanging on for dear life and Batman attempts to save him with like mm. uh, the bat claw now obviously this doesn't work out Napier falls into a vat of chemicals and the police like really show up and Batman has to get out of there what's interesting about this scene though is the moment he like runs away you see Napier is alive Mm -hmm. And it's revealed that like the chemicals are obviously doing something to him now. Yeah. yeah. How how do you like that reveal that like Napier like survives and is going to like transform into the Joker? Because because most Joker media we get aside from like the Dark Knight. Well, no, aside from maybe the Joaquin Phoenix movie, like the Joker's like just already there. He's just kind of oh, like yeah. Batman where they're just like they're there already like functioning in Gotham. Like even in the new the Batman, like the Joker already exists. Like no, there's you're, no origin. You're right. You're right. And I was thinking, I'm so dumb. I was thinking, oh, well, we see like the Vatic Chemicals in Suicide Squad, but that's for Harley Quinn, not for the Joker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you never see the Jared Leto Joker's yeah. like origin. No, we just see him recreate it with Harley. <laughs> so no, you're totally right. I really love it. I I don't know. I don't know if I prefer like I don't know, Heath Ledger's Joker, where he didn't fall in a vat of chemicals versus or like Joker and the chemicals. I think I prefer Joker and the chemicals just because that is so cartoonish. Mm -hmm. That is so old comic book to me. I, I love it. I, I just think that anything with a vat of chemicals in it is giving like old cartoons and stuff from our childhood. So I love that. 
And Which is actually inspired by like that appearance of like Joker as the Red Hood and yeah, how he yeah. falls into the vat of chemicals, which is no, uh, yeah. most famously portrayed in uh, The Killing Joke. Mm, mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk about that later. Listen, that's that's going to be its a whole other episode. No, I, I know. I'm not even going to get into it. I just I'm actually excited to talk about it. But uh, anyway, I love it. I think the reveal of like him becoming the Joker is super interesting. And like you said, it's not done a ton. And Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's great. Great choice, Tim Burton. So then so then like Joker goes or Napier goes to this back alley surgeon (laughs) and the surgeon does the best he can to save Napier's face. And obviously you have this really horrific scene where Napier looks at his face in the mirror as he's sitting in the barber chair, like his back's facing towards the audience mm-hmm. and he just smashes the mirror and like you just hear this diabolical laugh mm-hmm. as he leaves. And this is where the this transformation is complete into the Joker. But but a scene or two later, he, he reintroduces himself to Grissom and kills him for mm-hmm. double crossing him. And he's st- and where Grissom is like calls him Napier, he steps into the light and he's like, Call me Joker and there's your Jack Nicholson Joker. And it's it's really just one hell of a reveal. Like, I feel like everything like everything like Joker related is like very, very on the nose, like Tim Burton esque. Yes, yes. And that's how it should be, because the Joker is like a theatrical performer. That is his essence of his character. I Oh, I love it. I think that scene where he smashes the mirror and like goes up the stairs and we don't see him. That is one of my favorite comic book movie scenes ever. I think it is amazing. Um, I love the part where he goes and kills his old boss. I think that's fun. And I mean, we've obviously we saw some foreshadowing with him playing with the, the deck of cards and like the Joker card earlier in the film. But I think that that reveal is uh, I don't know. That is the Joker to me. That is so perfect. Jack Nicholson is such an incredible actor. I know I'm not like breaking any new ground by saying that, but I just feel like I can never stop appreciating how incredible mm-hmm. he is. And it's so funny. Like, we'll talk about this later um, with the fun facts, but like you can tell how much he loves the source material. Like you can feel it. An actor like Jack Nicholson could not put his all into a comic book movie. But he does. And you can tell that he does. And it's just so fantastic. Love that scene. So then he goes to see his old bosses like associates. And he basically says, like, listen, I'm fucking taking over. It's it's a new guy in town. And this is where you get your first taste of a Joker wearing the disguise makeup from the comic books where he puts on flesh colored makeup to blend in. Now, (laughs) obviously the thing he can't hide is his smile so so napier just has this like big old like grin on his face as he's like talking to them even to the point that one of them goes like what's with the grin and he just responds life's been good to me so oh good one of the associates doesn't take too kindly to napier taking charge of everything or joker as they don't really know yet and he stands up And he's like, all right, well, he basically says, I respect it here. Let's shake on it. And he shakes on it and and the buzzer Mm -hmm. starts electrocuting him and it kills the man. And a burnt skeleton just drops down in the chair. Now, this this is where you really start to see the comic book Joker come in because he kills a man with a hand buzzer. (laughs) 
And he's like and he's like doing theatrics like all throughout it. Like he's like dancing and singing during it or saying like, oh, look, we got a live one. And the characterization is just so great in this scene to me because it shows that like, yeah, Napier was like psychotic before, but he has like really gone off the rocker this time. Yeah, he I'm so sorry. My cat, Eloise, she was purring into the mic. I am so sorry about that. I just heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Joker lost um, Catwoman tease. Um, Joker lost his shit. And that buzzer scene, I again. That's Joker to me. That is so iconic. I wish we'd see more shit like that in movies now. (laughs) Like, I just love how whimsical this movie is. And of course, it's Tim Burton. That sounds like redundant. But we've had now three iterations of Batman grounded in reality. And okay, one of them is like half grounded in reality. And that's Batflick just because like there's actual like Superman and shit in that one. But uh, two other batman movies that are like super grounded in reality and it is so fucking fun to go back to and watch comic booky whimsical cartoony batman and nothing is better than the joker being the like comic book joker in this movie such a good scene this is also where at the end of the scene like he's sweating from from the buzzer um he takes a handkerchief And he wipes his head, like revealing the white makeup underneath. Yes. Yes. Have you ever seen Pleasantville? I saw it once as a kid. I uh, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is like everyone's supposed to be black and white and they start like being in color or whatever. And um, it's a scene where like they're covering up their real skin, but like their real skin is the white and they're putting the makeup on. It looks just like this scene where he applies the makeup and it just reminded me of that. But I just think that is such a good touch. Like, obviously, like they shot it in reverse, right? Like they Mm -hmm. it's a it's such a good, like practical touch. I really like it. Mm -hmm. So then we just get like montage and a couple character building scenes. And Joker is running amok in Gotham. You see him like kill the mayor like uh, at a at a press conference. Is it the mayor or is it um, it's the mayor, right? I believe it's the mayor. Yeah, he he kills the mayor like during a public press conference by throwing a feather quill into his throat. And uh, this is where Bruce Wayne, like Bruce Wayne sees it and he walks up to the Joker's getaway car and like meets him like eye to eye and gets a good look at his face for the first time. And this is where like Batman's I wouldn't say like his detective skills, but his like natural intuition is like really kicking in of like, holy shit, I recognize this dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's subtle, but it's a nice touch. Yeah, it's it's super good. I don't want to say foreshadowing, but no, it's foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing. Yeah, I I love that. I love that so much. He recognizes him in more ways than one. Yeah, I'm sorry. We have yet to mention the fact that Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. And I feel like we need to pause and touch on that for a little bit. Okay. yeah, he's fantastic. I love it. I love it so much. And it's so funny because you always hear stupid people you're like oh they respent the character why is why is commissioner gordon black in the batman um mm-hmm. but you're a fan of batman 89 where billy d williams is harvey dent that's the coolest fucking casting in the world i oh for those of you who don't know i work at lucasfilm so i'm a big star wars fan excuse me i forgot that he was in this i was like mm, why is lando calrissian on my screen right now i was so excited i just feel mm-hmm. like we didn't mention that and he's great and his role is small but 
praise to the king. I love him so much. Yeah, it's it's notoriously known that uh, Billy D. Williams actually took the role of Harvey Dent in this film, knowing he would be brought back for a sequel as mm-hmm. as Two Face. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was anticipating that. It's very unfortunate the world never got to see it. The world got to see it in two other forms as yeah. Billy D. Williams went on to voice Harvey Dent slash Two-Face in the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is also Two-Face in the Batman 89 continuation comic. I'm so glad that like, I know it's it sounds dumb, but I love the Lego Batman movie like so much. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a small, um, it's a small thing. It makes me happy that he was finally able to play that role. I don't know. It feels like he got paid back for something in a way. I, I like it. Well, and then the Batman 89 comic, like full yeah. full on, like uses his likeness. And for sure. I just mean like vocally. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm glad 100%. that he got to like act in that role. And he's he's fantastic. I don't know how I forgot he was in this movie because I've seen it so many times. But I guess it just mm-hmm. wasn't on my radar when I started the film this week. And small role, but he kills it. I I love it so much. Uh, Marlon Wayans was also supposed to be in this film. No way. Really? Yeah. Marlon Wayans was supposed to be in this and Batman Returns as as Robin. Oh, I saw that. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. That's Mm -hmm. so crazy. (laughs) They also end up using his likeness in like the Batman 89 comic. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. That'll be a whole nother episode that we do because... uh, I'm really excited to read that. I haven't read that one. I'll be honest, but for our listeners that don't know, that book is actually written by Sam Han, the screenwriter of this movie. I, I love that we get more 89 content that I just didn't even know about. I'm so mm-hmm. ready. <laughs> yeah, it's really recent, too. It like just happened like last year. See, that actually makes sense because I feel like my being deep in the Batman fandom Mm-hmm. was when I was younger and I love it so much still but I mean like the online spaces so that's how I'd get my news and lately I've been mostly just on Schmarshmore's Twitter so I'm excited we, we, to... we can we can bleep that out no it's fine it's fine <laughs> I, I'm just excited to like be back in that community because I'll be able to know stuff like that you know like I'm so mm-hmm. ready <laughs> Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll definitely cover cover that since it was only a six issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Sam Han, the screenwriter of this movie and the story writer for Batman Returns wrote that. So it's like a full on like official sequel. I guess like Jim Lee said that like artists and writers had pitched like a Batman 89 continuation over the years at DC mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they just like never really like acted on it or like found a good pitch and I'm assuming once they got like the original screenwriter involved, that's when it like really took off in a serious way. Yeah. So it's just set between 89 and Returns, I'm assuming. No, negative. It's set after Returns. <gasps> no way. Mm-hmm. Selena oh, Kyle sorry. Comes that's crazy. Back. I did not know that. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. It's got Catwoman, Robin, Two-Face. It's like a direct continuation of it. Damn. Okay. We can move on. I'm just like really excited now. No, because it's like cool because like people bring up, they're like, oh, will it lead into forever? And then Sam Hamm was like, no, this is like this is erasing Batman Forever and Batman and Robin from like my timeline. Wow, that's so weird. Oh, yeah. So you're you're in for a treat going up ahead. I'm excited. Um, So let's see. Where was I? Okay, so now the Joker is like full on terrorizing Gotham and. Uh, he reveals that he's basically poisoned 
all the cosmetics in Gotham in like this very like, do you want to d- describe like the way he announces this to like the city? Because like, I feel like you love this scene. It, I do. I edited. <laughs> I edited me and Raina over the news report. So there's a news report and it has like two of the uh, girls that are now little Joker girls. And I edited our names over it because it has the girls names on it. And I love it so much. But yeah, there's like this. They look like the Joker, but women. And this was actually what I was about to talk about earlier. This reminded me so much of Bioshock. Little tangent. So sorry. Of um, not Dr. Tenenbaum. That was Lady. And not Sandra Cohen. There's a uh, there's a, a plastic surgeon in Bioshock. You know what I'm talking about. And he wants to like Mm -hmm. Picasso all the people up. And so after their surgeries, a lot of them look like that is Sandra Cohen. No, no. Sandra Cohen's the artist. Oh, yes. The doctor. I only know Dr. Tenenbaum's name. I feel like such a bad fan right now. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to find it right now. Excuse the typing noises. No, I appreciate uh, it. Steinman. Steinman. Yes, Dr. Steinman. And that is like one of my favorite parts of that game. And so when I was watching this movie, obviously, like I watched this movie as a kid. I played Bioshock as a kid, too, but like after. And I was like, oh, my God, I like I feel like they had to take some inspiration from this because it looks so similar. So I feel feel like a lot of like there's a lot of intersection between Bioshock and Tim Burton's Batman films um, because they both use the art deco the style. Art dec- I, I was going to say that earlier too. It feels so like it, you can feel that the creators like this movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you got like the giant at- statues of like Atlas holding up and yep. like everything is like very straight lines and whatnot. Yeah. And art deco style is like my favorite. So that makes this movie so much more fun. Which was also the art style for the TV show. Yes. The the animated series. Yes, it was. You can see where I got my interests from. (laughs) Um, No, but I I just love you can talk about more like what the Joker does to announce it. But I just love that little news clip where the ladies are on screen. I think it's so Mm -hmm. funny for some reason. So. So the news is reporting on like the deaths of them. And then uh, Joker has like these cardboard cutouts of them and he's sitting on the beach. (laughs) and he's like you too can like look this beautiful like if you use new smilex and he's like holding up like a cosmetic product Mm. product and he's basically revealing oh you use this you're gonna end up dying and looking like this and then joker drops the bombshell that oh where can you get these products well chances are you already own them them. (laughs) like basically revealing that he's like poison like almost all the cosmetics in Gotham. Yeah. yeah, he like infiltrated a bunch of supply chains and it wasn't just cosmetics, right? It's like he put it in everything. Yeah, it's like deodorant, hairspray, like yeah. it gets to a point where they're like, oh, there's like all these deaths and there's like no connection. It's like random. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Such yeah. a good scene. Putting a little fake advertise. I feel like I keep saying this. I'm sorry. I sound so dumb, but mm-hmm. It feels so Joker like that is such a Joker scene. You know, you'd watch a cartoon and like the Joker takes over the TV and it's like a commercial that he made. Of course, that's him. That is the essence of the character. Mm -hmm. So good. good. (laughs) So Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne's relationship, they're developing it at this time, regardless of what's going on in the city. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Joker also grows this weird obsession with Vicky Vale throughout the film. And 
it kind of comes to a head when Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale are at her apartment. And lo and behold, who shows up? The Joker and his goons. And do you have any thoughts on this scene? No, none in particular. I just think his little infatuation with her is so funny, especially because she looks just like that other blonde girl in the movie. Mm -hmm. Also, Mm -hmm. Grissom's like wife. Yes, yes, who like Joker was, you know, into as well. And then we as an audience know that harley quinn will later come is this where joker's infatuation with blondes with was inspired blondes. From? that's what i was just about to say is like we as an audience know that that comes later on in like batman history but like seeing joker obsessing over blonde women in this movie is just like yeah that checks out that that's valid mm-hmm. i love it yeah and this is where like bruce wayne kind of snaps in person and and puts on this act that he's like rash like impulsive where he mm-hmm. like starts to defend Vicky and then you have the famous scene with the fire poker and he like smashes the vase and he's like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> I love that part. Which is one of the best lines in this movie, actually, I would it, say. Yeah, it is. I had to actually I paused the movie after that because I just needed I needed to take it in for a second because I love it so much. Well, it's like the opposite of Batman. You got Batman who's like cold and calculated. Meanwhile, you Mm. got Bruce Wayne who's like flying off his fucking rocker. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And the Joker goes to shoot him and he says, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Mm. And this catches Bruce Wayne off guard to the point that Bruce Wayne's like, what? And like the Joker just responds, oh, it's just something I say before all my victims. And he shoots him. Now, this will come (laughs) into play later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This isn't the first time, though, that we've really seen the Joker terrorize Vicky Vale, though. Um, (laughs) No, the best part. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, we're going to have to rewind in the movie a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is. uh, Yeah. You want to describe this scene to the, the, to the audience? I am so sorry. I'm just so excited to talk about it. I'm so sorry. The scene where the Joker tricks Vicky into thinking that Bruce Wayne is like going on a date with her at a museum and they're going to have dinner together. And he Bruce Wayne stands her up. And by that, like he didn't even know this was happening, obviously. So the Joker and his goons come in with a fucking boombox blasting prints and defacing the art in the museum. It is the mm-hmm. most bad shit insane scene in the whole movie it's just like what the fuck is going on it just oh how do you feel about this scene i love it you know what i like that you said it's bad shit because i feel like every episode we're gonna have to point out at least one yeah. bad shit <laughs> element of everything um, so real which would be this um it's such a fantastic scene you got like prince like <laughs> you got joker dressed up as an artist you got prince blasting in the background <sighs> there's like a, a fucking painting of a man being mutilated and joker goes like no not this one i kind of like it <laughs> they're just terrorizing this museum and they bring vicky a gift and it's just it's crazy it's when prince started playing i was like what in the damn hell is going on in here <laughs> Yeah, because they they have the song Party Man playing. Oh, my God. Which it which is really good. But uh, that's really like that's one of the better Joker scenes. But I kind of feel like it's a little bit disconnected from everything. No, it is. No, that's why it feels batshit, because, okay, I have this really annoying trait where if something is making me like uncomfortable when I'm watching a movie, I like physically cannot look at it. Mm -hmm. 
I will cover my eyes like Nathan for you is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I'm covering my eyes through like half the show because <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable. And I had that moment because I was like, what is going on? Like I felt I felt embarrassed, but I love mm-hmm. it at the same time. But it is super disconnected. And we're going to talk about some facts later. But the fact that Tim Burton didn't even want this to happen is so funny. I also tangent. Don't you think Prince would be such a good Batman villain? I'm not going to say anything because there is something in Batman 89 that kind of alludes to that fact. What? Wait, am I dumb? Did I miss something? No, in like the comic. Oh, okay, okay. We'll talk about that later. I just feel like his costumes and the symbol thing and his persona is so Batman villain coded. I will say the comic kind of implies what if Prince eventually played the Joker? Oh, I adore that. I adore it. Like it, like another Joker. What the fuck? I, I won't say anymore until we get to that book. Perfect, but, perfect. But let's just say that thought is not without merit. So this is actually where like the scene to save Vicky, like Bruce knows it's like a setup because like Alfred says to him, oh, you're late for your date with uh, Miss Vale at the museum. Mm. And he's like, what date? And this is where he starts to get put together. It's a trap. And Batman comes crashing down <laughs> through the roof to uh, save Vicky. And then back at the Batcave, he, he kind of reveals to her that like, oh, I've been researching this Smilex and trying to devise a cure for it. And like, he's like, it's not the cosmetics itself, but a certain combination of them. So like yeah. isolated, they're not deadly. But when in, in use with other ones, they become super deadly. Yeah. So this is where also not long after Bruce Wayne starts kind of reminiscing on the night that his parents were murdered. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is where the movie's kind of getting all to a head. Bruce Wayne reminisces on the night that the Waynes were murdered. And we finally get the proper flashback of the Waynes murder. And they're walking home from the theater, as always. the And they're mugged by mobsters. And the mobster says to, he shoots Thomas and Martha. And before he goes to shoot Bruce Wayne, he says, tell me, kid, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And it's revealed that Jack Napier was the one that killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Okay, I feel like you have some thoughts on this. I do. I I really like the idea of the Joker killing Batman's parents. I think that it adds so much to their rivalry. And like in this one, especially because... I mean, uh, I guess they talk about it in the movie, but I promise I had this thought before they say it explicitly in the film. I love that Joker killed Batman's parents and Batman is the reason that Joker is who he is. They made each other. And I think that when villains and heroes are the ones that made each other, that makes their like arch nemesis thing Mm -hmm. a thousand times better. I think that their mutual destruction makes them so much more compelling. And I will always be a fan of the Joker being the one that did that to Bruce. Definitely. Well, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it, but I do think it's an interesting element of like, oh, well, they created each other because traditionally the way Batman creates the Joker in the comics is just by existing. Yeah, yeah. I won't dive into it here, but it's mainly mainly happens in like year one in the long Halloween. It's like, oh, well, like I I, I am because you are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess, eventually the appearance of a man in a bat costume beating the shit out of people. Uh, 
you realize it's going to take more than mobsters to like go up against that. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying about like not fully agreeing with it. And that's why I knew <laughs> it was going to be controversial because I know a lot of people don't like that. But yeah, I think it just makes their mutual hatred tasty. I love it. <laughs> tasty, yuck. <laughs> what a way to describe that. Okay, so now we're getting to the climax of the movie. Joker has revealed on TV that during Gotham's bicentennial, he's going to drop millions and millions in cash on the crowd during the parade. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Batman knows that there's more to this than meets the eye. And he also figures out that they're creating Smilex at the Axis chemical plant. Mm -hmm. So he initiates his plan. Batman basically goes the night of the parade and fucking blows up the entire plant and everybody in it. And this is where you start to realize, oh, wait, this Batman kills. Do, yes, you have he does. A, do you have any thoughts on that? I love a Batman that kills. I know it goes against character. I don't Man, give a shit. I love you are, it. You are having some fucking controversial takes I know, tonight. I know. Here's the thing. I know it goes against his character fully. Is it fun to watch? Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> like, Oh, my God. Madison, um, Madison is the type of person that read Batman Nightfall and went, you know what? Azrael was a better Batman. <laughs> you know what? I think that that weird dream of Batfleck where he is like in tan with machine guns, that fucks. It fucks, Reyna. It's so good. <laughs> it's out of character. It's not true to source material, but it fucks. I love it. I truly uh, do. OK, I you know what? I, I know eventually when we get to the Batman v Superman episode of this show, it's going to it's going to probably get a little bit wild. No, because here's my thing. No, no. I can know critically that something is bad. And if you told me to write an essay on everything that is bad about it, I will. But goddamn, can I have fun with it at the same time? Oh, I love it. I love everything. Fair enough. So. <laughs> While that's going on, the Joker's at the parade with his big balloons and we once again get another Prince song. Yes, we do. Um, so you have any thoughts on this like like parade scene that's like super iconic now? Yeah, it's just as you just said, I think it's very iconic. I this scene and then we'll get to it on another episode. But the big ultimate scene of like Batman and Penguin are like two of my favorite older mm -hmm. Batman. Like they are just so fun and colorful and whimsical and crazy. And I love it. I think it's so fantastic. And obviously like it's just iconic now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So the balloons are starting to release the Smilex. And right when that happens, like Vicky Vale is on the ground during all of this too, like kind of mm. like documenting it a little bit or like just kind of being eyes on the ground. And the Batwing shows up and cuts all the balloons and takes them away and basically saves the people of Gotham from being poisoned. This is where you have one of the best Joker gags in the entire movie. The Batwing attempts to shoot the Joker and the Joker goes to pull a pistol out of his waist and it's revealed that the gun has about a three foot long barrel. <laughs> Not oh. only is that the best gag in this movie, but he manages to shoot the Batwing with it and destroy the Batwing in the process. Dude. And it's perfect. It's I was going to say, do we have no thoughts or just no. empty head about that? Empty head about it in the best way possible. Like, I'm, also, I'm also cracking up because this is the scene 
where like you have that fucking rip roaring like I laugh out loud every time I see it shot where the bat wing flies straight up in the air in front of the bat in front of the moon and it makes the bat signal (laughs) I lost my goddamn mind there are two scenes that I feel like were so unintentionally amazing and one is the beginning where Batman is on the roof of the building and you can just see how bad the effects are because you can see the light around Batman Mm -hmm. as he like accidentally Batman's like fucking shaking because you know it was 89 Mm-hmm. That made me die. And then the fucking bat symbol. Such a good moment. I, I know it's not supposed to be funny, but I was losing my shit over it. It's so good. It's good. It's good. So as the bat wing crashes in front of the cathedral, like Joker knows that Batman's going to like buff it on foot after him. Yeah. And he decides to take Vicky hostage and runs into the cathedral. And this is where we're getting to the finale of our movie. Mm hmm. Joker is heading to the rooftop and because he's called in a helicopter to escape. He's just got to make it to the way to the to the top of the building. But Batman is in pursuit on foot and Batman kills some more in this scene. (laughs) (laughs) The guy he fights right in front of the bell and then hits him about like 40 stories down. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like you're just like, good God, that man died for sure. Oh Yeah. So violent. Um. It's pretty great, though, because then at the very top, before the helicopter gets there, the Batman and Joker have a one on one fight. And it's kind of like their first interaction in this movie, almost. Yeah. Like just at the very end. And they're like training blows. And the Joker is like cracking jokes the entire time, which is I love the characterization of that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where he's like he throws on glasses and he's like, you want to hit a guy with glasses, would you? And Batman just like slugs him. And then when that happens, he's like, no, no, and spits up chattering teeth that are all bloody. Oh, that is such a good moment. That is such a good moment. Like those are like very Joker Joker moments. Yes. Yeah. They're good details that I feel like we don't get in like new Batman Mm -hmm. media. Like like I feel like a lot of like new Batman media forget that the Joker is supposed to be funny. They literally it's in his name. Like, are you fucking serious? Well, I Why think is the, he so serious? Why so serious? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's what let me down so much about Suicide Squad was I was like, oh, that Jared Leto Joker, like, did not say a single joke in that movie. Yeah, but he was funny to look at. So I don't even think he was funny to look at. I was just like, what is this? No, I meant that in a bad way. That was an insult. <laughs> oh, what is it? Teen Titans go that they're like, you can't like put tattoos on your head and dye your hair green and convince me you're crazy. So good. No, I I miss the Joker being funny. Bring back funny Joker. Make Joker great again. No, and I love I love Heath's Joker. Um, I'm sure I'm going to love Druid from what's his face. Barry Keegan. Yeah, I'm sorry. Love you. You forgot Barry. his name. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I'm triggered. I'm sure I'm going to love him because uh, he's fantastic. And but I don't know. I miss I miss funny jokey. Oh, Wait. Joaquin, too. Sorry. Sorry, homie. Well, he was pretty funny. Mm, I just felt sad for him. So the training blows and the helicopter arrives and Joker gets on it and he's on like the, the roof of it. And oh, yeah, during this fight. Like Batman says the line to him, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? And that's where like Joker realizes like, holy shit, you're Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Bold fucking move on Bruce's part. Well, I think he went into this fight with every intention of killing him. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Joker attempts to escape and he attaches his leg to one of the gargoyles on the church. Mm-hmm. And as the helicopter's pulling away, the gargoyle starts to like crumble, like it's like breaking on the church. Yeah. And Batman and Vicky are like attached to the Joker during all this. And the gargoyle crumbles away and the weight of it carries the Joker down <laughs> straight to the ground on Gotham. <laughs> And yeah. Batman and Vicky make it to safety, safety and it cuts to the bottom of the cathedral where it's revealed that the Joker is indeed dead. Now, what do you think of this? Because I think this is the only thing in Batman media where Batman straight up kills the Joker, like his number one nemesis. Yeah, like he's just dead. Part of me like loves it because it opened up the opportunity for different villains to uh shine in sequels Mm -hmm. but i mean it's out of character we know it's out of character Mm -hmm. i we continually see that even if it's his nemesis if it's a matter of life and death batman will always save their life and give them over to the police and i joked earlier about loving seeing him kill people but like at the core of his being that's who he is um so it felt like a crazy choice to me I also have to share an embarrassing fact. When I was watching this with my boyfriend the other day, I forgot what gargoyles were called and called them golems. Like <laughs> golems. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, the golem!" And then I was like, "Wait a damn minute, that's not correct." Oh my <laughs> god! Oh, look at the golems. <laughs> so the I go- have to share that. It sounds um, like it'd be a children's book, "The Golem on the Column." <laughs> that's kind of cute, actually. But yeah, I personally don't agree with this choice just because as much as I can think Batman killing is fun, that's just not what he would do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it happened. <laughs> so then we cut to some time later. Commissioner Gordon and the police announce that they've rested all the Joker's men. And they seem to be on Batman's side now because they're not asking for the arrest of Batman. Yeah. And and Harvey Dent reads a note from Batman basically saying that he will defend Gotham whenever the city needs him. And a reporter asks, how do, how do we even get a hold of this Batman? And that's <laughs> and, and one of the coolest moments in the entire movie happens where Gordon says to the crowd, he's like, he gave us a signal and he removes the tarp and it's revealed that he gave them the bat signal and lights it up to show the bat symbol in the sky. It's, it then shows Alfred taking Vicky to Wayne Manor and explaining that that Bruce is going to be a little late tonight. <laughs> um, and she looks to the sky and sees and sees the bat signal like like shining up above. And it cuts to the final shot of Batman standing on a rooftop watching over the city. And, oh, and that's how Batman 1989 ends. Um honestly such a fantastic ending just kind of saying like the legend will go on like as long as gotham's there so will batman such a good scene very iconic super cool bat signal i think the best like bat signal design yeah and our inspiration yeah i was like if you can't tell we're very (laughs) we're very uh enamored with that particular bat symbol so good no i love that ending i i love a good bat signal moment We've had mm-hmm. a lot in Batman history. Um, that's one of the top moments. That and I'm sorry. I feel like this is also a controversial take. I fucking love the body tied to the light to to create a bat, bat signal. Oh, and Batman Begins? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good I moment. I adore that. I think it's so good. But yeah, such a good end to the movie. Um, I, I don't know. It's interesting seeing over years, like people will go from loving this movie to like shitting on it to loving it again. Nostalgia will hit and they'll like it again. And then a new wave of people will shit on it again. I think it's just fantastic. I don't understand hating it at all. Yeah, same. I, I really like it between Danny Elfman's score, Tim Brennan's art design, or even just like its faithfulness to the comics. It's yeah. this movie, this movie rips, but I think the sequel rips a little bit more. A little harder. It does. Uh, Well, we'll talk about that when the time comes. But, yeah. But this was a good first one. Um, I understand you have some tidbits for us, Madison. I do have some tidbits. Um. So there were attempts to make this movie since the late 70s um, and return the Dark Knight to his darker, more serious roots after 1966 series, like because it was so campy and fun. Um, there had been a lot of discussion about when they were going to bring him back to his roots. So, yeah, I guess like even like movie studios like United Artists and whatnot passed on producing this movie. Well, because yeah. at the time, Warner didn't own D.C. So, yeah. Um, a lot of studios passed because they thought the movie was just going to end up being campy like the Adam West series. Exactly. Um, and Tim Burton was the one to take on this project. And after the success of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Warner Brothers hired him and then girlfriend Julie Hickson to write the darker, serious treatment. Um, he's gone on record saying that he was inspired by the darker portrayals of Batman and the Joker from The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke, which, again, can't wait to discuss that. I love seeing that he was inspired by it. Tim Burton hired Danny Elfman to compose a musical score. Initially, John Peters, who worked on the film, was skeptical of hiring Danny Elfman, but later he was convinced when he heard the opening number. I love when they work together, Tim and Danny. I, mm -hmm. that is... I was a Tim Burton girl growing up. Obviously, his more recent ventures have not really been great. But as a child, I was deeply obsessed with him and Danny Elfman. I actually, in the third grade, we had to do projects on like historical things that happened on our birthday. And instead of choosing the Kennedy assassination, I chose that that Danny Elfman was born on the same day as me <laughs> and did my project on Danny Elfman as like an eight year old. Like, I love that man. And I'm so glad that Tim fought to have him do the music because the score for this film is amazing how do you feel about it i uh actually lived out one of my bucket list uh items this last year <gasps> when yes. i saw danny elfman at coachella he actually played like the batman theme i'm so jealous of you yeah so i i got to hear it live and it was it was really good i um, oh i'm so jealous i think out of like every single batman score like even the dark knight scores these ones are like my favorite the danny elfman scores and i mm -hmm. really like i know we'll talk about it later but like i really love the prince soundtrack too yeah yeah so um originally the soundtrack actually was supposed to be michael jackson and prince with Michael doing the Batman side and uh, Prince doing the Joker side, which is crazy to think about. Can you imagine having Michael Jackson on this as well? I could because um, apparently his side like was going to be like you said, the Batman side and it was going to be like darker and have more ballads. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Prince's Joker side was going to be the upbeat, funky songs, which Prince ended up doing both of. But yeah, I think it would have really been interesting having both of them do it. It would have been incredible. I also was obsessed with Michael Jackson as a kid. My family loves Prince. 
uh, and Oingo Boingo. So I think having the three of them on the same album would have killed me, would have killed childhood me. But Tim Burton didn't even want Prince on this at all. Danny Elfman, I believe, is the one that had to talk him into it, which is kind of funny. Um, But anyway, moving on. Michael Keaton's casting as Bruce, like we said earlier, caused a lot of controversy amongst comic book fans. Um, 50,000 protest letters were sent to Warner Brothers. Huh. This sounds familiar. (laughs) So familiar. Poor Warner Brothers has been dealing with this since 1989. Can you imagine? It's (laughs) it's crazy because like the way Keaton ends up portraying the role like now you hear that he's coming back to the role mm-hmm. in the Flash movie coming out and people are are pumped for that. Yeah, because he's an icon. Uh-huh. People were just stupid back. Th- well, still, people are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Nicholson loved his performance in this film so much that at one point he was watching this film once a week at his house. Uh, he also admitted in an interview that he was an enormous comic book fan in the era when Batman first appeared. And Joker has been his favorite character from the comics forever. So so what was he like secretly fanboying out and just didn't let anybody know? Exactly. And it's like so funny because like I said earlier, you can tell he played this character with so much heart and so much love. And it's because he was such a big fan and he went on to just rewatch this movie a bunch because he loved it so much. I think that is so wholesome and sweet. And my final little tidbit is that this is the first Batman movie to win an Academy Award. It won for Best Art Direction and Set Decoration, and it was followed by The Dark Knight. 2008 was the second Batman film to win an Academy Award, and it had two wins as well. Fair enough. I mean, the art direction is really good in this movie. Fantastic. I would say that that wraps up our Batman 89 coverage. Do you have any final thoughts on this movie? I am really grateful that we had this episode because it made me rewatch it. Um, I was supposed to go see it in theaters last month and I couldn't. It was really sad. And I was like, well, I don't fucking know when I'm going to see that again, as if I can't just pull it up on HBO. But like, you know, sometimes you need a reason to watch a movie. And this podcast gave me that reason. I'm so happy. So thank you. (laughs) And I just really love this movie because it inspired that meme that we saw on Twitter. We're like, oh, if Batman was directed by Tim Burton and I and everyone went a collective. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should post that. No, we do this episode. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) No, you're not. No, you're not. I'll get the password and I'll delete it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But yeah, I do really like this. And I, you know, if you like Batman, I think you'll probably like this movie, too. Listen, Madison, where can people find you? Yes, you can find me at at Mads Fairchild on Twitter and at Maddie underscore Amidala everywhere else. You can find me at JFC Doomblade on all social medias. You can also find the podcast Twitter at Batshit Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We are also co-hosts of another podcast called Windsor Film Club. You'll see that in our bios on Twitter, but definitely follow Batshit at Batshit Pod on Twitter. And I'm sorry, I misspoke at Batshit Podcast on Instagram. And you can always find episodes on Apple and Spotify. Um, We'll be dropping an episode next week on Scott Snyder's seminal Batman run, the first story arc in it, The Court of Owls. So good. Cannot wait. If you guys like the podcast, uh, 
we'd love if you gave us a little review. Um, we're just getting started. So that would help us out a ton. And yeah, drop us a follow. We'll follow you back. We'll chat about Batman with all of you. And we really appreciate you all. Bye. 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 <laughs>